So in Matthew 5, we're going to talk about a defense program. Those of you that are old enough to remember Ronald Reagan, he would talk about a program. Shoot down while they were traveling between continents. Apparently they get in the upper atmosphere and even space and he wanted something that would zap them before they hit us. I kind of liked that idea and I thought it was a nifty name for a president to choose. Well, God has a defense program for us. And the more we understand this, the safer we are, the more secure we are, the better able to handle spiritual warfare and even natural aggression from people. So tonight I wanted to talk about that a little bit and we'll pick up in uh, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we've talked about what that means already, so we'll keep moving. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. You know, many times I've preached on the topic of peacemakers. There was a pistol in the Old West called the peacemaker, right? You remember that? Anybody know what it was? A Colt 45, not the beer that Billy D. Williams drinks, but a pistol. And uh, replicas of it actually have the word peacemaker on it. They say it's what White Oak Earp carried, but his had a ten and a quarter inch barrel on it. How do you have a gun and call it a peacemaker? Isn't that kind of crazy? Do uh, you think maybe some on the left coast could have a real problem with that term? Making peace and associating force with peace? But it's a very Hebrew idea. And as we get into some of that, you've heard me associate this with Psalm 34 before. Uh, I want to read that to you tonight. This idea was not pulled out of the air. Jesus had heard a popular rabbi teach on it, and he, of course, was the Word of God. And here's the verse that this is based on. It's uh, Psalm 34, starting in verse 12. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The idea of seeking peace, a great deal of effort. The idea of pursuing peace implies even more effort. You remember the fat guy uh, that Jackie Gleason played, Sheriff Buford T. Justice? Right? He was in hot pursuit. That's pretty hard for him, wasn't it? Tore his car all apart, messed up his life through about three movies. They're playing them right now on TNT. That's where that came from. Yeah, none of you watch Smokey and the Bandit, I'm sure. Oh, well, Darren's a fan. That's good. Uh, he was in hot pursuit. He spent his whole life chasing something that was trying to elude him. The shalom of God will try to elude us. It will try to evade us. It will try to get away. And there's a guy named Hillel who just prior to Jesus had taught a great deal about peace. In fact, preserved in the Mishnah today is a section called Ethics of Our Fathers. And you've heard me talk about that before. If Jews, every Saturday, read the entire section called Ethics of Our Fathers. So every single Sabbath, they read a quote from Hillel. Now, Ethics of Our Fathers takes maybe 30 minutes to read. Uh, but this is one portion of it. And this is Hillel's commentary on Psalm 34. And tell me how similar it sounds to Jesus. And then by name Shaul later. It says, uh, This he received from Moses, handed down from Moses to Hillel and now Hillel to us. Be a pupil of Aaron, the high priest or high Kohen. Love peace and pursue it. Love people and endear them to the Torah. The response that Hillel taught people to have towards anyone who was trying to steal their peace, whether it was somebody who was trying to forcibly hurt them or somebody who was uh, just being ugly and aggravating a situation. He said that if we love peace and love them, it will endear them to the Torah. And as they're endeared to the Torah, they taught that the Torah had an inner force. And the inner force would cause, like leaven caused bread to change, the person to change. In other words, if Judah's being ugly to me, and I will keep loving Judah, and I will keep trying to show Judah a godly way to live, 
Judah is going to become interested in the Torah, if for no other reason to find out when he insults me why I don't return the insult. And as that Torah starts to get in him, as God's Word starts to get in him, like leaven working its way through the whole loaf, it will surely change him. So the Jewish rabbis actually taught that the best defense that you could possibly have towards aggressors is to love them and show them what God is like. Now, as I began to think about this, the first thing that came to my mind were Muslims. Sorry, I'm just being honest. I've been in some areas of Jerusalem where uh, some Westerners won't go. And uh, I've heard it said this way, actually. The more miles you put a Muslim between him and Mecca, the more peaceable he actually becomes. So you, you need to understand that there's a different mindset in the average Muslim at a gas station here than there is at a Muslim standing in Mecca. Uh, <laughs> Mike could say the same thing about some other religious organizations. I'm going to leave them alone for tonight because it will take us off topic. Well, having said that, what is the best possible way, if you know a guy wants to strap a bomb to him and blow everybody up, what is the best possible way to deal with that situation? Get in the car and run, right? But where is the salt of the earth? Where are the people that God has called to be a leaven that works itself through the whole loaf? Where are the people that will bring change? And what I found out is even in our little church, this question came up. I said, well, what do we do with them? Said, be appropriately cautious. Now, that's a pastor. That's a fatherly uh, concern for my sheep. Be appropriately cautious. And that's not true just for Muslims. That's true if you were in any area of the city that welcome you because of your outward appearance. Okay? And I still stand by that. Be appropriately cautious. However, if you do not love people who consider themselves to be your enemy, what hope do we ever have that they will be endeared to the Word of God and begin to change? And I noticed that I didn't follow my own advice when I was in the most dangerous part of the world I've ever been in. In fact, I went and sat in coffee shops suicide bombers pictures on the back wall as heroes and had coffee with them. Didn't bother me a bit. I never felt alarmed. Any of those things, the people that were with me were trembling, knees knocking. Didn't bother me at all because God was showing me something. All in all, people are just people. So what do you do when attacked? Let's go to Romans 12. Do you understand we're talking about taking a stand for God in a way that is pleasing to God and has some hope of success. That's what we're talking about, a good defense program. It turns out that Hillel had a student. And that student had another one. Imagine that. Rabbis had students who became rabbis and they had other students. In three generations from Hillel, there was a man whose name was Gamaliel. And Gamaliel taught on this very same subject Pretty frequently. Are y'all in Romans 12? Did I tell you to go there? And it turns out that a young man named Shaul, who had been schooled in Jerusalem underneath Gamaliel, had been taught what Hillel taught. And listen to how he applies this in Romans 12. I guess we'll start in uh, the 14th verse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How, uh, How easy is that to do? Anybody ever give you one of those four-letter words that was not love? Yeah. And you want to turn around and say, oh, bless you. Bless you, brother. May all of your children be born naked and do well in life, right? Not, not right, huh? What's the first thing wants to come out of you? Yeah, you want to fire back at the very least. Uh, maybe you want to ignore them. You want to just walk the other way. But how will the Torah's inner force ever reach them if that's the case? In what way will they ever see that you're any different than any other human being? Uh, a couple times in my life, I scared even my wife. Somebody gave me one of those uh, special salutes in traffic, and I hopped out of the car. It's a funny thing happens when you do that. Uh, you get a, a, a very interesting reaction from guys. Uh, they either hop right out of the car and rush out to meet you because that's what they're looking for in this world is, is a fight. Or they find out that their finger just overloaded the rest of their body. And uh, in these two occasions, apparently I chose well, because they locked the door and uh, shrunk from the driver's side. And I got a chance to tap on the glass. Twice I've done this. Now, Jen's pointed out, my mother undoubtedly will tell me you can get shot like this. I said, hey, brother, 
I'm a child of God in love with Jesus. And I just want you to know who you tried to place a curse on. But I love you. It is the most amazing, disarming thing. Neither one of them wanted to fight. Neither one of them wanted to fight at all. In fact, one had four children in the back seat. How about that? All four children, I bet, will never forget the day their daddy yelled a curse word, gave a one-finger salute, and a man came over that their daddy hid in the passenger seat from and then just sat stunned with. He said, well, wait a minute, Eric. That could cause a problem. Of course it could, and I'm not suggesting that you do it. But if you don't have, in some point in your life, the ability to stand for God in a situation and return a blessing for a curse, when will they ever see God's Word at work? Now, what was neat is he had a Bible on the dash. I got to ask him who his pastor was. He didn't answer that question. Uh, y'all ready for Romans 12? Yes. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. What does it mean not to live in harmony with one another? If Zero's up here trying to play and Gabe's playing with him, and their guitars are not perfectly tuned to one another. You can pick it up pretty quick, and I'm not musical. If he's playing with only two strings instead of how many ever his guitar has, you'd pick that up pretty quick, too. Harmony is when you cannot strike the same chord walking the same step with all the people around you. Now, people don't always notice harmony, do they? But they notice disharmony immediately, discord immediately. We have to refuse to be involved in discord. When we're talking about a defense program, we're talking about living out the Word. I was recently almost at the border of Mexico when discord broke out among the people. It's amazing how the devil works. He knows that if there is no harmony among the people of God, there is no hope for the advancement of the kingdom. Why do you think the devil works so hard on your way to church to get you out of harmony? Why do you think so hard on a... I can... I can spend from 9 o'clock to 4.30 praying in this sanctuary in perfect harmony and have been doing that most days we have uh, church in here. Most days we don't have church in here too. But the last two hours before the service, it, it's incredible how hard it can be to keep harmony. Why do you think that is? See, the devil has an end game and we'll get to that too. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. See, you should be willing to like me. Don't be conceited, Matthew. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That ought to be a concept, right? Don't repay anyone evil for evil. But if Lindy slaps Lisa's face, maybe it's not. Maybe Lisa's meek. Maybe she doesn't slap her face. Maybe she walks away and kills her character. Maybe she says that, Lindy, she's always going around hitting people. And you know what Lindy did the other day? And do you know what Lindy did last week? See, there are all kinds of ways that people do this. Why do you think the Bible says, do not repay evil for evil? You ever especially brothers, and they start off with a push, and the other one gives a push, and pretty soon the push got a little more force, and the next push has a lot more force? You ever seen that happen? No, of course. You've never even been in the same planet that happened on Come on, y'all can talk to me. Have you seen that happen? i got two little boys. And what's so funny is the little one doesn't show restraint. The big one does for a little while. And then pretty soon they get up. Whoa, that's interesting. A noise came. That was from my feet. Huh. And pretty soon the two little guys that were in harmony because one repaid evil when the other gave him evil are in full-blown warfare. This is a Hebrew concept that they are trying to teach. A little offense will lead to a much bigger offense. So when an evil person does something ugly to you, the Gospel of Luke says, don't resist him. Now, does that mean that if somebody comes into Mr. Fred's home and wanted to hurt them, he should just lay down? Not at all. Not at all. It is a godly right, a godly obligation that you have to be God's hands and feet on the earth. And that means you prevent injustice when you can. So what does it mean then? How do you reconcile that thought with don't resist an evil person or don't repay evil for evil? It means do not get into escalating situations of violence. It means just because somebody insults you, don't return the insult because it only leads to more insults. Yeah, how clear is that? Watch what else Shaul says. 
Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Not always possible. I like to point that out. <laughs> but where it is possible, we want to try. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. If I know where that comes from, quick, check your footnote. Come on, help me. Where did that come from? Proverbs 25. Quote is the last part of the verse. You know why? They all knew it. And I know you so you don't have to look it up. You don't, do you? You know what it says? So that the Lord may reward you. See, when we do something that is kind to people who are being ugly to us, we're in a unique position where God can reward us. In fact, this is what Jesus said. You're going to throw a banquet. You're going to lend money. Don't throw a banquet for people that you know will return the favor. Pick the ones that you know will not. This is how you get credit or reward from God. If you're going to lend money, don't lend to the one that you know can repay it. Instead, lend to the one that can't. See, this concept is ingrained in these Jewish people because they're used to being oppressed. In fact, the biggest faction in Israel at this time is those who want God's deliverance or those who want to lean on their own right hand and try to get deliverance for themselves. They compromised. You know what happened? Under a rebellion named Bar Kokhba, some said it's God's method of deliverance and the others said, yeah, my strong right hand. And it caused the destruction of the entire nation. About a million Jews killed in that event. A million. That's quite a bit. It's half of all that ever came out of Egypt. That's a lot. Don't repay evil for evil. There is a teaching that comes from the law of God, from the Torah, from the Tanakh, that is so founded in the New Testament, they don't go through the uh, steps of explaining it. Watch this. Turn with me to Numbers 12. I know it's Wednesday, but y'all got to help me a little bit. Are y'all just bored to tears? No? Okay. This is all coming from the guy whose favorite line in a movie is sometimes people just need killing. Yeah, we're remarkable contradictions, aren't we? One of the biggest fruits of God's Spirit in my life that came the absolute fastest, still nowhere near perfection, is in a matter of seconds after praying, Lord, change me, I went from the guy who would strike you first to the guy who was willing to be struck because of Jesus' love. It was the most tangible fruit that was evident in my life immediately. So that when I was walking down a hallway in school and staring at a trash can I had put a young man in the week before, now it didn't feel like the same human being had done it. And I couldn't fathom it. And suddenly I was filled with a desire to overlook other people's flaws. You know why? Because all mine had just gotten overlooked. The more judgmental, the more angry, the more retaliatory we become shows how far we have fallen from the cross that we were saved on. Because if you understood just how ugly of a spiritual condition we were in and still find ourselves in from time to time, it becomes very easy to overlook someone else's problem, even if it's directed at you. You know, if you look for a reason to be offended, you don't have to look very far, do you? You find it everywhere, don't you? You know, people that can make themselves the victim of any situation. I worked for a woman like that, and it's not the only one that I ever knew. But a rock could fall on Suzanne's house, destroy Suzanne's house, and somehow or another this woman that I worked for was the victim in that situation. It's a habit we get into so that every glance, somebody's whole life and whole church career can be completely done because did you see the way they looked at me? Maybe they were looking at the guy behind you. He's uglier than you are anyway. Right? Did you see the look on his face when I said, maybe he had gas. I mean, there is no telling what could have happened. But people's whole lives have been ruined. In my family, three generations of people went to hell. You know why? 
a pastor insinuated that somebody in my family was drunk when he wasn't. What would happen if that man in my family had simply overlooked the offense? I wonder how many more people in my family would be serving Jesus today. You have no idea how important learning this defense program is. It really is. It'll keep you from being ruined. I, I realized earlier that I used an example in prayer that was completely unintended. I just used an example. Okay? I talk a lot, and there's no telling what my, I might say next. There's a reason we don't record Wednesdays. I don't want to think about it that much. Somebody could take offense at that. Was he talking about me? You have no idea how many Sunday when I say something, everybody's convinced I was talking about them. And when you ask, I tell you, yes, I was, even if I wasn't. I found out it was the best way to handle it. Because if I say no, what do you say? Who was it then? Was it Beth? No, it was Angie. So I tell everybody 100% of the time, yes, I was talking about you. The devil is a master at working offense into our life. And ultimately what it does is it stops us from projecting God's Word so that other people can be changed by it. That's what it does. So in Numbers 12, we're going to read about a classic, classic offense. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. (laughs) My God, she's bleak. (laughs) She was black. That seems to be the problem. Or else she's the only white woman that ever came from Cush. Now, maybe they just didn't like the way she cooked. I have no idea. But when it says she's a Cushite and they didn't like her, you don't have to stretch real far to say that maybe it's because she was a different color than Moses was. Nobody's ever run into that situation before, have they? I talked with a brother in North Carolina who's in a school for missionaries who is being discriminated against because his wife is a different color than he is. I thought, hey, welcome to uh, the Bible Belt. right? He's shocked because he's from another country and he didn't have that issue. And he's getting lots of things like uh, you don't plant two kinds of seed in the same field. Okay. Are, are we not both human beings? He's getting classic uh, God put a mark on Cain and all kind of ridiculous bad theology. Right? All because people are uncomfortable. This brother's getting to practice God's defense program. He really is because you know what he's doing? He is living the Word in front of them and the inner force of that Torah will take control in those people's lives and something will happen. See, you've got a problem with everybody until you meet one you like, right? I just don't like guys with blonde hair all that much. So I meet somebody with blonde hair that I love and now all of a sudden that knowledge begins to change me. I can't say all blonde-haired people are whatever anymore because it changed me. This guy is putting that into practice. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Don't you love how uh, emphatic the Scripture is? I was wondering how he got a Cushite wife. Oh, he married one. I was worried he stole her, you know. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? (laughs) Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this? I want you to hear this. What is the problem? Moses, you got a Cushite wife. But what are they saying? Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? When you find an offense with somebody, you're going to find a way to justify it. You are. If maybe you don't like what Cassidy said to you, then rather than deal with the substance of that issue, let's talk about Cassidy's educational level. Do you know where her people are from? You understand? This happens all of the time. If you don't like what someone's done, if you take offense at it, what do you do? You begin to destroy their character to justify your feeling. You destroy a human being's character so that you're justified in feeling the way that you feel. We do something very tangible to make ourselves feel better about something that is altogether intangible and subjective. Hmm. How about this one? Well, he made me feel that way. Really? He got in your head and released those chemicals? Hmm. They didn't like his wife, but they began talking about him. And what did they say? Has the Lord only spoken through him? Hadn't he spoken through us too? What are they saying? We're his equal. We have as much right in this matter as he does. His wife. What 
very upset about. Is there any indication? All right, well, let's not get into what the problem is. Maybe that doesn't really matter. Let's look at Moses' response. It says, the Lord heard this, by the way. Now, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Hmm. You think there was anything about Moses' character that, that uh, should have told them not to do this? What way do you know Moses is humble here? You can't wait till you get a pastor's wife. You can't wait. It's funny, people with absolutely no ministry experience, maybe sometimes not even married, are just sure they could do it better. It's amazing. It's amazing how wise people can be at first contact. Isn't that interesting? What do you do when people talk about your wife? You ever been in that situation? Somebody said, well, I knew her when... Hmm? What are you tempted to do? Doesn't that touch a special place in a man's heart? Aren't you built, ready? I mean, can't. Was Percy Sledge wrong when he sang, uh, when a man loves a woman, he'll turn his back on his best friend? Was he wrong? He lived in Baton Rouge for a while. He did car commercials. That's how I know that. Jerry Guffey. Uh, Matt knows who that is. Was, was he wrong? He's not. I can tell you the only serious times Matthew and I were ever crossed with each other was over a girl. And Brad Lively, my other best friend, it was over a girl. Right? And a couple of my friends and I, one hadn't been a friend since I took his girl. Yeah. You can get pretty darn serious over something like that, can't you? How do you know the man was humble? Watch this. There is complete silence on his behalf. Now Moses was a very humble man more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. Let me, let me get this in view first, okay? How did the Lord say to three people to do something? It's one thing if He said, Moses, go get Aaron and Miriam and y'all meet here. That's, that's possible. It's another if maybe in a dream he spoke to each one of them. But the inference here is that the heavens part and God speaks and says, the three of you meet me behind the woodshed right now. How else did God speak to all three of them at once? Or did they just hear from God in a praise and worship service and all happen to show up at the same time? Isn't the Lord sweet? I don't think this was like that. It seems that in some kind of way, God let them know that immediately, right then, when he heard it, he wanted to meet with them at a tent called the Tent of Meeting. <laughs> How about that? Uh, so the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. Woo! I one time stole my dad's car. I know that surprises all of you. And uh, I was a little late getting home because it was a Corvette and... Uh, I locked the keys in it. And I found out Papa Lock's not all that good at opening Corvette doors, and they broke the lock. So they broke the lock to get me back into a car I wasn't supposed to have in a city I was not old enough to drive in. And uh, when I was pulling in the driveway, he was waking up for work. When he walked outside and said, come here, I was a little scared. This is that kind of meeting. God has shown up in a pillar of cloud in the middle of a situation where people are attacking a man who, get this, does not fight back. How about that? If God were listening to your arguments, if God were sitting in a situation with you, would you be the one that was not fighting back or the one vigorously defending your character? Hmm. When both of them stepped forward... He said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams, but this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Somebody should let God know he's just got this wrong. They weren't talking about Moses. They weren't talking about God. 
Who were they talking about? Moses' wife. Said, Lord, you got this wrong. We're talking about the wife. Do you see? She's from Cush. And yet, that's not how God interpreted this at all, huh? It's almost as if God took it very personally that somebody would attack even the wife of Moses. Because Moses belonged to God. I think maybe one point in understanding God's defense network is that it very personally when people attack those who are His. You know, Paul quoted a scripture. He said, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It comes from Deuteronomy 32. Another time he tells the church, Leave room for God's vengeance. What we don't realize is that when we tend to ourselves, we negate the possibility that God Himself will defend us. The only times I've ever gotten this really right in my life were because God so removed me from the situation I was not capable of defending myself. But in those few rare occurrences where someone pandering me or my wife or my kids unjustly and God so hemmed me in that I was not able to defend myself, I got to see Him come through in dramatic, powerful fashion. This began to minister to me. I began thinking, Wonder what would happen if I did this more. We find out something. God's a lot better at defending his own than his own are at defending themselves. How many times have you just wanted to set the record straight and made it worse? Huh? A brother sent me an email. I, I truthfully, honest to God with all of my heart, just didn't understand it. So typical blunt Eric, I said, was this your point or was there something larger you were trying to address? You know? two-line response to an eight-paragraph email. The response was worse than the first one. So I responded again. Look, I sincerely just don't get this, this, and this. So could you help me? It got worse. And I realized something. Two brothers who love the Lord have found themselves in an escalating situation that neither one wanted to be in. Maybe I could have just let the first one go and not worry about it. God's big enough to defend it. But you know what? I was worried he thought I did something wrong. Isn't that a way to get in a trap? Cassidy's nine yes back there. She thinks like me. I've read some of the email exchanges. She and I do the same thing. We'll read into what you wrote, something you didn't even intend. Our noodles work like that. Right? Maybe from the text it looks like you intended it, but it was never in your thought. And so I send you something that maybe just has a little point in it, and you respond back. And before long, we have an exchange going that is completely unprofitable for us. And you sit down and you go, how did we get here? I thought we were friends. Have y'all never been in a situation like that? Only Brandon has. <laughs> Brandon says, what? I was just wondering when you were going to be done. <laughs> the anger of the Lord burned against them and He left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous. That's not like a leopard. That's not what that means. It means various skin diseases of all kinds. She didn't turn into a cat like a spotted cat. She turned into something worse. Decaying flesh. Leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Boy, boy, boy. Amazing how little divine retribution got their attention, huh? Isn't that a whole lot better than Moses said, Why are you talking about my wife? You know how ugly your wife is? Your wife was so ugly, her mama had to tie a pork chop to her to get the dog to play with her. I would look at little kids like that, though, right? There's a part of us that wants to fire back all of the time, but didn't God do a better job of defending His name here? Didn't He? And He took it personally. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from his mother's womb with flesh half eaten away. Those Hebrews are so graphic. So Moses cried out to the Lord, O oh God, please heal her. The Lord replied to Moses, If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been unclean for seven days? The maker stay outside the camp for seven days. Do you understand the correlation that God Himself just drew? Moses, she insulted you, so I spit in her face. A father spitting in a daughter's face was shaming her. In other words, when somebody spoke against God's anointed, boy, I almost hate to say it like that because the only way people think of God's anointed are people behind these things. 
No, you're God's anointed too. You are. We are a nation of priests. That's what we are. Kings, everyone. When people speak against you, God takes it personally. Now, there's a hint here too, though. What happens, do you think, when one of God's anointed speaks against another of God's anointed? Maybe they both get the spit from God. Who knows? But the point is, God took it personally. The Hebrews internalized these kind of stories. They got them. So they are masters at what Martin Luther did. Peaceful resistance. Forceful, but peaceful. The kind of thing that would be bold and love someone right in their face while they were being ugly. How about that? So it turns me to Daniel then. Anybody going to go to Daniel? <laughs> Somebody won't tell me where it's at? Okay, in Daniel 3, just going to give you some cliff notes here. You're going to be, I'm going to tell you about Daniel 1. In Daniel 1, some children that are brought from Jerusalem to Babylon have a choice to make. Is it really better to stick with God and only have vegetables? Or should I stick with security and worldly provision and get all that the king will give me? And they're stuck with God and it worked out good for them in the end. But their lives were on the line for that. In Daniel 2, a little Hebrew boy named Daniel, they called him Belteshazzar, had to stand before a king and tell him what no other wise man, enchanter, or magician would do and his life was on the line. But he stood with God. If he got it wrong, they were going to cut him into pieces and burn down his house. Any of y'all face that yet? And yet at every possible opportunity, he did good to these people. Now, we're in Daniel 3. You ever told somebody something that God showed you and they drew the wrong conclusions from it? Because Daniel looks at Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Hey, Neb, uh, God says you were like a giant head of gold. Right? You are the king over everything on the earth and you put everything great and small under your feet. Nebuchadnezzar says, man, there's no God like your God. That's awesome. Then he goes to proceed to build a statue of himself, 90 feet tall, made of gold. (laughs) Yeah. He found a way to take what God had just told him and the whole point of what God just told him was, dude, I can put anybody in your position I want, but I allowed you to do it. Do a good job. He took that and said... God obviously wants me to build a giant statue and make everybody worship me. Okay? There are some people who are just not going to get it right. But we speak in truth and love. We keep working in the truth and love. And the inner force of God's Word will transform them. Nebuchadnezzar eventually gets it right. His last recorded... You know what they are? Anybody? God is able to abase the proud. wonder where he gets the idea. Maybe he had been the proud guy over and over and over and somebody spoke love into his life while he spoke hate into theirs. And it changed him. How about that? His kid gets the same message too, but doesn't get it. Oh, we'll, we'll go over that. Y'all in Daniel 3? I don't know why, but in the 16th verse, we find the best verses. The third chapter and 16th verse is just the best. Talking about? Y'all like John 3.16 at baseball games, right? Colossians 3.16 is pretty darn good. Titus 3.16, pretty darn good. 4.16. Now Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're all you in the fire. Okay. He orders the furnace seven times than he would usually be. He gets the strongest Grab them. Okay? So y'all all got the picture? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wait. Even their names are tributes to foreign gods. So is Belshazzar. It's the god of Nebuchadnezzar. And these were not their names. They had Hebrew names. Isn't that a little offensive? If you take somebody's name and change it into another language and a different meaning? Well, think about that next time you read a Hebrew name because we have a chain for them all. But anyway, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, 
The God we serve is able to save us from it. And He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They said they didn't need to defend themselves in this matter. Why? Their lives were on the line. Why didn't they need to defend themselves? Would you not have had at least the least little inkling to say, Hey, uh, you remember the God that Daniel called the revealer of mysteries, the one who told you you were like a big old head? He's going to squash you if you hurt me. Wouldn't you want to do that? Of course you might want to do that. They didn't see a need to defend their lives because their lives already belonged to God. Or did you think that was just a New Testament concept? They were already purchased by God. Remember, sold into captivity. Actually, prior to this, they had been rulers over provinces. How about that? They didn't defend themselves because they trusted that somebody else would. And they said, even if God doesn't, though, still not going to do what you want. Still not going to sin. How cool is that? You think we could learn something from that? Maybe leaving room for vengeance from these guys not seeing the need to defend themselves? Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he threw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. It's so hot that it killed the guys who threw them in. That's pretty hot, isn't it? The king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the God. It's when we defend ourselves that us get to see someone else with us. And he will defend us. He will protect us. It's when others slander you that God is able to show you true character. It's when others try to hurt you and you don't defend yourself that God is seen in you. If they had stood and made their arguments, all anybody would see is a man squealing like a pig trying to save his life. But instead, what they got to see was a fourth fire. I'm asking you to remember in our situations of trial are situations that are difficult. I'm asking you to remember that God has a special defense now, and that it's in those moments that others can see someone there with you. If what you do is care back, then all they see is somebody just like them. In the fourth chapter, old Meb, uh, he gets a different kind of prophecy. He says, oh, I see this grand, beautiful tree. And you can see Nebuchadnezzar on the tip of the seat. Uh-huh, uh-huh, tell me more. And the tree was so big that birds got to take refuge in it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, tell me more. And I saw the tree cut down. What? Yeah, and Neb, uh, I saw you out in the field in years with the mind of an animal. Huh? See, when this man tried to hurt, those were his. that Nebuchadnezzar writes a letter to the whole kingdom and says, you know what? The God of these Hebrews, He's the God above every God. Everybody should worship Him. Everybody should fear Him. And the one thing you should know about Him is He's able to defeat the proud. Nebuchadnezzar's never heard from again in the Bible. His kid, he's heard from in the Bible. His successor. You know what happens to him? He presumes miracles from the temple and feasts with them and talk and write meaningful parsons on the wall. You have been weighed and found one and your kingdom will be taken from you and given to another. And Daniel shows up and rebukes him for not heeding the example of his father for attacking the defenseless. 
and he was struck down that night. One last story from Daniel. I got maybe six, seven minutes. In the sixth chapter, I may not have time for this, so we'll work through it quickly, but you need to hear what it has to say. In the sixth chapter, at this point, has faced down Nebuchadnezzar, his son, and now has reached Darius. You got that? Three monarchs in your cemetery before the end of the book, Cyrus. And with all of them, they threaten his life. And with all of them, God preserves his life. With all of them, he starts off with no report. And by the end of it, ends up the in the kingdom. Do you think there could be a message there about people who don't like you today? Hmm. Well, Trent actually has begun to like because he's uh, into giving an order that can't be repealed. Pick up in the 15th verse. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. A little bit like uh, some word of faith prayer, huh? (laughs) Remember, king, you said you have to do it. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. Daniel thrown into a lion's den because of a technicality in the law. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles. Was there anybody else in all of biblical history that you can remember that was thrown into a cave, something hewn out of a rock, and a stone was put over it and a seal placed around it? Yeah. There was another Jewish boy that this happened to because of a technicality in the law. Hmm. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, I wonder if it's the first day of the week, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lion? We've put you in a death tomb. We've put you in a place where you will surely be dead and sealed forever. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. See, this little Jewish boy, just like one that would come later, when attacked, refused to defend himself. Innocent and ended him. Daniel, in this case, is just like Jesus, being given over to death but innocent. So God rescued him even from the jaws of death. What is it that you'll face this week? In what ways will you be insulted? Like the writer of Hebrews, should we write a epistle that you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood? What do we have? Sometimes a little hope deferred. Maybe we didn't get what we want when we wanted it. Sometimes maybe things turn out a little different. You beware. Bitter, anger, retaliation, all of those things that happen are for one purpose. To keep you from shining the light of God's Word that could change your enemies. Last because i got about three minutes left. I didn't think I'd have it. Turn with me to Acts. This is the last Scripture. I promise it. I will not lie to you tonight. I'll lie to you tomorrow, but not tonight. Yeah, yes. Acts 7. There is a young man named Stephen that is facing people that you could rightly call his enemies. Why could you rightly call... from him. In the 51st verse, Stephen is still speaking with them. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have re- who have received the law that was put into effect through angels but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. 
But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The Word says everywhere else, but when someone is being attacked that he loves and they are not defending themselves, he is standing at attention. You remember that when you live the Word, it will project the Word into others and it will change their lives. Do you remember that that was what Hillel taught, that Jesus furthered, that Paul himself taught? You ever wonder where Paul got idea? Well, I told you, he heard it from his teacher, Gamaliel. But you know where it really grabbed him? Read the next verse. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed out, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named See, I got a feeling that he couldn't sleep that night because he had and its inner force was in him working to change him. He saw somebody attacked who didn't defend themselves, but God himself was taking those who were enemies and changing them into the best friend Stephen could have ever had. That guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But where do you think the turning point started in his life? Oh, I know it happened on the road to Damascus. But do you honestly think God was not dealing with him before then? You never know when someone's attacking you if they're the next Shaul in the making. You just have to be able to reflect some of God's inner force into them. Y'all stand to your feet because I'm out of time. It's hard to get here on Wednesdays. It's even harder to get here on time. We don't work hard to commend ourselves for anything. We really don't. In fact, most of the time, kind of like an artist who plays a song and when everybody claps, we say, ah, we don't care whether you like it or not. That's almost our attitude. And yet, I don't think any of you can deny that tonight you hear a word from God. Remember that next time it's Wednesday. Tell your friends. Tell people around you. We're never going to have all the bells and whistles and we don't want them. We're never going to give away gift certificates so that people will be happier in our church. But what we will do consistently is we will get before the throne of God and give you a word that will change your life. That's what we'll do and that's what we can offer here. I pray we take it and we apply it and it change the lives of the people around us. Can you all say amen to that? Mighty God, if you're the one that sends it, not all the power of hell can hold it back. Lord, we pray for opportunities to be able to reflect Your glory. We believe that when we're attacked, You have a defense program and it involves converting our enemies. Well, holy God, we thank You then. We thank You that there are those that stand against us because we know it's only a matter of time. And the inner force of Your holy Word will change them too. In the name of Jesus, we commit today, tomorrow, and every day of our lives. Amen. Amen. All right, we've got to let the kids out of children.